RTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The News Round on Off The Ball with Gillette. Start your day in flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Coming up on tonight's Off The Ball, Declan Bogue is the latest on the Glen Kilmacud-Croaks controversy. We have extensive coverage of the National Football League after a brilliant opening weekend, while we have all the latest news on transfer deadline day. Michael Verney in the hot seat tonight, delighted to be here. Uh, Mick McCarthy beside me. Mick, how are you? Michael, how are you? Good. You're very welcome. Thanks very much you've, for welcoming me with open arms. You've been in this seat a few times, but I don't know if you've ever been in that one. No, it is as hot as they say. It's, it's as hot, even though it's a nice, comfy new gaming chair that we've got in for the... That, that Malloy fellow, you know, the list of demands he put in his latest contract, Jesus Christ. But one of them was three weeks off in January. But uh, you're in and enjoying it so far? Yeah, enjoying it so two far. Minutes yeah. two, two minutes in. Two minutes <laughs> in, yeah. Well, two small anahibris, now what they say. So happy to be off to a good start, yeah. Well, it's great having you. And uh, luckily, well, look, it just so happens that the calendar has uh, packed our show with GEA tonight. So uh, never has a as as a man been more fitted to our running order uh, as as it uh, stands. So we're talking um, we're talking about three different three different uh, stories from the National League, and we're talking obviously about Kilmacud and Glenn because a show couldn't possibly go uh, we couldn't possibly go two days on the show without talking about that story. No, it's the story that never goes away, the story that never stops, saga, isn't it? The saga of all sagas at the moment, yeah. It's an unbelievable saga, yeah, and it's one that will be remembered for so long, realistically. Like, it's just, and it's going to, the news cycle is just going to keep going for another while yet. You'd see it could go to the, could go to the DRA yet. Um, so oh Are they still going? They are still going. Not called into action too often these days, thank God, but maybe they'll be called into action in this instance. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I know we're going to talk to Declan Bogan in a while, but... Are we going to see a replay? I don't envisage a replay, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I envisage Kilmacud holding on to the trophy as well. Yeah. If I'm if I'm being honest, because I don't see I don't see Glenn, uh, you know, taking it without beating Kilmacud Crocs. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody wants that particular scenario. But uh, yeah, God, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't mind another twist in this particular tale yet. You know, I think I know some people might be getting sick of it, but. I don't know. All we need now is just we need an angry we need an angry man or woman somewhere to just come out and really, really stir it a little bit, just to kind of get you know you know some would say that feelings have been uh, that people have been a little bit angry, maybe a little bit hurt at times. I think we just need to escalate that a little bit. Well, Rhino Dwyer aside, we haven't really heard from anyone involved in Crocs, and he's a past not on air anyway, not on air, no. <laughs> so like that's. That's how the story potentially moves on, I would think. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you know maybe Crokes need to have their say. We have Richie you know in has. Richie McCormick in the background. Richie, how are you? Michael, Michael, are we well? Um, the, no the, hat the, tonight, the one, no? No hat tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually paying the price for it as well. I'm feeling follicularly uh, uh, without and breathed at the moment. Um, as this stretches on and as we reach the kind of um, point in this story whereby Crokes don't want to replay there's whispers that Glenn don't even want to replay in all of this. And you could have a situation where uh, this this has a massive asterisk beside it because, you know, it, it, of the situation involved. I don't want to spread this story further, but a penny for the thoughts of the likes of, of Karen Zarallis and Mike Cullen, who lost in the semifinals and now find themselves 
watching two ball lads scrap over a comb uh, without wanting to stretch the theory too far because they don't want to contest the final. So if you're going back in the tournament, surely there's uh, two other teams that would have loved to have been in this position that are kind of looking on with envy slash scorn at this stage. But the whole thing, like when it was just last night when I was waiting on words to come through from the CCCC, my playmate, that, um, that nine days, 10 days, whatever we are now and into this thing is way too long. Like it, if the GA said that they didn't want to bring a situation whereby every refereeing decision is brought into, you know, the, the contentious nature and they didn't want to have everybody having their own hearing. But if this isn't case in point as to why the GEA should have grasped this by the horns from the night this happened, I don't know what else is. Well, I think it's like it's basic public relations, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you come out and try and beat the story and control the narrative, whereas we're still talking about it. What are we talking? Nine days nine later days, now at this stage? Saying, yeah. And yeah. we have another six to go, I think, isn't it? It's because yeah. it's isn't there like three days for Kilmacud to make their appeal and then another three days for that to be heard? So we're probably talking... Like, me and you were talking... Uh, before we came on air about the great GEA sagas we're talking about like Claire Offaly we're talking about maybe Tony Keady and his suspension for the All-Ireland semi-final uh, there's one or two more Joe Sheridan and the the, the Mead Loud Leinster final have any of them gone on this long? Well the Offaly you know I mean? the Offaly Claire one in 98 was like the next Head off the, six days the, later the, the next like, yeah. day like the decision was made the next day um, some of the Offaly lads had, uh, were enjoying themselves I think even uh, I think Johnny Pilkington has gone on record to say he didn't go to training that night and he didn't actually think there'd be a replay on and I think he'd had a few pints that morning but it was the following Saturday in Turles I don't know I don't know if you were there Mick I was there one of oh, the was, yeah. one of the greatest GA occasions of was all time and it was just the, it was yeah, <laughs> apologies yeah obviously my you know parochialism comes into it here but um, I've never seen anything like that and if Glenn and Kilmacook Crokes was replayed the swell of momentum and support yeah. that there was towards Offaly then it was just I don't know it was just a sense of inevitability almost that we were just going to that we were as to kind Gerlach Nan's phrase that we were going to do it yeah. do you know what I mean it just felt like everything was building towards it and from a Clare point of view they had put in a great performance the week before it was null and void basically then they had to lift themselves yeah. again for that following Saturday and they weren't able to and it it is why this is different, right? And this is load for me to say it, right? I think Claire would have won that day. Absolutely. I'd stand by that until I die. But we never know because there wasn't enough time played, right? And anything can happen in the game of Hurland and it wasn't cut and dry. We just had to play that game again. There's no doubt about it. I think from Kilmacud's point of view here, you know, the chances of somebody scoring a goal with the last kick of the game, no matter how many people were on the pitch it's just so small you know that they they feel like they won that All-Ireland and they won it legitimately and they made a balls of a small thing at the end and now they're being punished for it and they're being vilified for it and all joking aside about anger and stuff like that of course you see where they're coming from of co- and, and do we need a replay to decide who won that match the way we did in 98 I don't think we do but at the same time from Glenn's point of view like a really fundamental rule was broken, yeah. be it accidentally or not, and you know that that's why this one is kind of, I think that that's why it's not as cut and dry as that, and that's why it has gone on nine days and counting, and there's hard feelings on both sides now and hurt feelings on both sides. So, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what the end point is. Is, is it just Kilmacud refusing to do it and Glenn saying, "Fine, we accept that. We just wanted to make a point." I don't know. That feels like a, it feels like they've come this far. 
they'd never accept the trophy. No, they definitely won't. That's they definitely it. won't be like declared All Ireland champions by default or whatever. No, I can't see it. Indeed, Penny for the thought of the loud lads thirteen years ago as well, where some justice is going to be served here either way. Offaly got justice, I would say, in ninety eight. Uh, the, la- the late Tony Keady didn't get any justice at all and Galway, yeah. the chance that Galway had of doing a three in a row in 89 I think um, before he passed he, he made a remark that you know on his headstone you would like it to say should have been playing in 89 <laughs> and that's how big of a deal it was at the time and there was, there was other players that uh, there was other players maybe involved on the other side and they were playing Tipperary that were in a similar boat but maybe weren't reported to the level that Tony was and he couldn't couldn't play that game. Uh, Richie, where would it stand for you as regards uh, great GA sagas or controversies or even pulling in a controversies or sagas in some other sports? Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. It's just the GA's nature to drag the arse out of these things. Like the fact that we mentioned that this could go to the Central Appeals Committee and could go to the Disputes Resolution Authority. Like, is there any other major sporting body that has three layers of judgment uh, involved in it. Like, two is probably too many. Uh, three is just lunacy, especially with some of the cases that are involved. And it just tends to sour the opinion of, of all sides, no matter what the case is, regards the eventual outcome. And like, there's no need for three layers of appeal to this thing here. It's just, it, it's sad and, and needs to be wrapped up and could have been wrapped up much, much, much sooner. Yeah. Which would have stopped, you know, stopped frustration on both sides and probably stopped boredom of those who aren't involved directly in it. Yeah, there are no winners in this, only losers, you'd have We're to say. We're in a position now where I think there's just like, people are just going to be, like, is upset the wrong word? But I feel like it is. I think people are just going to be upset about this forever now on both sides of this. You know what I mean? I don't, Kilmacud have won the All Ireland, having lost one. You know, the year before. Yeah, and true. The circumstances that they tr- that they near <laughs> that nearly happened again this you time know, around. Exactly, and you know, and that lives with them. And then to go and win it the year after, like that's exactly the response you need. That that should be the most famous day in that club's history. And mm-hmm. instead, it's infamous now, and it's always going to be. And I think they're just always going to be just so annoyed about that, even though they ultimately will have that name in the role of honour we think <laughs> uh, the news round is brought to you by uh, Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, we might just you might just go into some of the details Richie about the Crokes Glen saga we've talked about it a bit you might just go into the facts of the case yeah Mick Kilmacoe Crokes have three days to lodge an appeal after a replay was ordered for that All-Ireland Club Football Final the CCCC reached the decision following representations by Crokes and Glen Crow Park last night the Dublin Club had 16 active players on the field as we know for the final play of the match which they won by two points and Crokes can take their case now to the Central Appeals Committee and failing that the Disputes Resolution Authority You'd love to know what the vibe was like between the two clubs been representing in Crow Park last night. Mm. Are there amicable conversations between them? Is there tension between them? Is there a lot of resentment towards the GA from both sides as well? It would be you'd you'd love to be a fly. You would love to be a fly on the wall in that room. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Did you hear anything? No. I see that. And the thing about this is, it's such a, <laughs> it's such an inter- information vacuum as well. If it does go to the DRA, the only way you'll hear about that is you know, through an awful lot of digging or through knowing yeah. someone or having a source that's very high up. This stuff only filters down very gradually and slowly, yeah. usually after, Barry, you know someone right at the coalface, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a... I, I, I just can't imagine there isn't... Um, the, as I said, like, those hurt feelings haven't transferred into some sort of... I don't know, I'd, I'd say at least kind of, like... 
if if not kind of like dislike of each other, then at this stage, distrust, I would say, at least. You know, you would just, again, that's not with any information. I'm just saying that that's almost by human nature. You would have to think that that's at that point. So you'd imagine it was quite a salty atmosphere. I'd say it was. There last night, you I'd know. I'd say it was. Richie, you some news about a Munster uh, return, or John Ryan is in contention for uh, the Ireland squad, I should say. He appears to be, yeah, because John Ryan is going to be potentially included in the Ireland World Cup squads. Munster have confirmed that the prop will return to the province at the start of next season, having agreed a new one-year contract. Ryan has been one of Munster's standout performers this term, having rejoined on a short-term basis from Wasps. The 34-year-old is spending the Super Rugby season with the Chiefs, but will return to Munster after that. In further contract news at Munster today, the Scannell brothers, Niall and Rory, have agreed new two-year contracts, and Edwin Idogbo has agreed senior terms with Munster. The lock made his debut for the province earlier this season, going on to put in a string of impressive performances. 20-year-old Idogbo will remain an academy player next season, with a two-year deal kicking in in the summer of 2024. Is it realistic, Mick, to think yeah. he could be included? Yeah, I have to. Like, it could be. Yeah, like I mean, you're probably talking about that third. If everybody's fit, that third tight head um, slot is probably up for grabs behind um, behind uh, Furlong and and, and Beelham. So the way he's been playing so far this season, and the way you know the way he's been playing since he came back to Munster in particular, would suggest that that it is an option. You know, so we see. You know, he'll have a lot of rugby under his belt. You know, when he's playing, obviously uh, the whole Super Rugby season. But it's an amazing thing, really, isn't it? Like, you know, he goes off, basically leave your international career behind, your Munster career behind, having, like, he's 34, having done it all, really, at Munster level anyway, goes to Wasps. Uh, you know, the, just for the next phase of your career, Wasps <laughs> collapse, are no longer a club. You come back to Munster, you play the best rugby of your life, and you're kind of back in contention for your international side. It's, an, it's a crazy story, really, isn't it? In that way, you would absolutely love to see him make it for the World Cup what a swan song that would be yeah, as well going towards yeah. the latter stages and of he is career. somebody that Roy O'Connor was talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the show like he is somebody that like Farrell has used and has had in and around the squads and has caps under him so it's not like he's someone that's in from the cold that hasn't you know that hasn't got any experience in this setup or anything like that so it's definitely uh, far from um, it's far from a guarantee but it's also a very strong possibility I would say Richie, more rugby news. Uh, Warren Ball is back this weekend. It is indeed, yeah. Warren Gatlin naming his Wales side today to play Ireland in Saturday's Six Nations opener. Lee Halfpenny has been named to start a fullback, having not played for Wales since their summer international win over Canada in the summer of 2021. After impressing in his November debut against the Wallabies, there's a first Six Nations start for Osprey centre Joe Hawkins. Having missed their autumn series through injury, Dan Bigger returns to start at out half. Outdoing Halfpenny's absence, Reese Webb could make a first international appearance since the autumn of 2020 with the Ospreys scrum half among their replacements. Gatland has no issue, meanwhile, with his side being regarded as underdogs against his former employers this Saturday. I think all the Welsh like to be underdogs, don't they? So, yeah, it's, I suppose it's, the expectation is the only expectation that we put on ourselves and... and um, we know how good a team they are and you don't become number one team in the world without consistency and performance. There are a lot of players from represent from, from Leinster and obviously they're one of the form teams in, in world club rugby really just with their success and consistency uh, of performances. So we we realise what a challenge that's going to be and you know they've got the continuity and being unbeaten in the autumn as well uh, the confidence they'll bring. So there's going to be a, a, ch- a challenge for us a bit. Um, you know that sort of underdog tag is, is, is something that um, 
you know found in the past that the Welsh boys kind of tend to relish and and they like um, you know people writing them off because it tends to does tend to motivate them and so hopefully I'm confident we're going to give a really good account of ourselves on, on Saturday and give a good performance. Richie, where do you fall on the Six Nations in a, in a World Cup year? Its importance and going gung-ho for Six Nations. Do you treat it as a normal Six Nations or is there? are you looking and awaiting that bigger picture and potentially, from an Ireland point of view, pulling back a couple of your, your big guys, the likes of Sexton, to make sure they're not overloaded in what's going to be a, you know, a monster year? Yeah, I think you have to regard it as a um, as a as a full tilt Six Nations um, because just that notion of form. Like, if you do have a rough Six Nations, if you, like even if you are chopping and changing, you suddenly have that added thing of you're not in form, you haven't got a string of wins behind you, and you also suddenly don't know what your best fifteen is. Whereas if you go and play to your strengths, put out your best team possible, even with one or two slight alterations here and there, maybe against an Italy. Um, you can, you know, see, navigate this thing with a with a great degree of calm and a great degree of surety, and then head off into the autumn when the World Cup rolls around with the utmost confidence. Because there's a team's in in a far worse position than us going into this Six Nations. France have had woeful injury worries. England have had woeful injury worries, and I don't think it's any coincidence that they both operate within two league structures that demand that they play in almost every game. Whereas we've been able to minor players that little bit better. Scotland, um, they're in a slight transitional phase in that they're trying to bring in players ahead of the World Cup um, Wales have a little bit of that too with, with Gatlin coming back in and older players being reintegrated and yeah and, and then building towards I guess the future under Gatlin whereas I don't want to say we have a clear run at this thing but if we do put out our strongest team week on week there's every chance that we could win a Grand Slam uh, particularly the way the fixtures lie home and away and then head off into the autumn with a, a great degree of confidence but it doesn't make anything a certainty in the World Cup for sure Seems to be a cloud hanging over every country in the Six Nations. Barros, <laughs> Barros doesn't there exactly, like all that yeah, controversy yeah. Yeah. with the the Wales CEO at the weekend as I well? Know, like we're I the know. we're the one team that seemed to be getting a, a fairly clear run. Uh, Richie Tyburn has uh, given some thoughts on what he expects uh, from the Welsh. Yeah, he, indeed. Yeah, he set it up rather nicely there. Tyburn uh, in facing the media today in Quinta de Lago in Portugal, where the Irish team remain until Thursday, and he has been asked what he expects from Wales this Saturday. Well, I think everyone knows there's going to be a reaction out of them, isn't there? Uh, you know, with Gatlin back and uh, a lot of new coaching staff gone in there, I think uh, there's going to re- be a response to that. And uh, I think they're at home. So no matter who's coaching Wales, when Wales are at home, they're a difficult team to play against. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to come, they're going to try and be physical. And I can imagine they're planning on being direct. And I know... Uh, yeah, I know that Gats has said that's part of the that's part of the plan is to come at us physically because I think they think they can get an upper hand on us there. So uh, you know we'll we'll be expecting that and uh, we'll, we'll certainly be ready for it and be looking to hopefully get one up on them. Richie, deadline day always one of the <laughs> one of the busiest yeah. days in the soccer calendar. Um, what is the latest? And I believe there's a a big Irish news story as well. 
There certainly is, yeah, and a surprising one too. Matt Doherty at the centre of one of Deadline Day's more surprising moves. The Republic of Ireland wing-back is in the Spanish capital, completing a lone move from Tottenham to Atletico Madrid. That should be done in the next couple of hours. He's been pictured at the Wanda Metropolitano already. Spurs have already sent Jed Spence out on loan to Ren today as they make room for the impending confirmation of €45 million Euro fullback Pedro Porro from Sporting. Marcel Sabitzer has arrived in England as he looks to complete a loan move to Manchester United from Bayern Munich. United are in need of depth in midfield with confirmation today that Christian Eriksen is out for up to three months with an ankle injury. Manchester City midfielder defender par me, Joao Cancelo, has denied that a poor relationship with manager Pep Guardiola is the reason behind his loan move to Bayern Munich. That got done today. Enzo Fernandez is reportedly undergoing a medical in Lisbon ahead of a proposed move to Chelsea. The Premier League club have offered a €120 million Euro package for the Argentine World Cup winner. Arsenal on the verge of completing the £10 million signing of Jorginho from Chelsea. Chelsea's Hakim Ziyech is due to complete a loan move to Paris Saint-Germain tonight. And Nottingham Forest have resumed negotiations with PSG for a loan move for goalkeeper Kaylor Navas. That one moving closer according to John Percy in the past few minutes. Uh, continuing on the team, Crystal Palace are set to sign Cork City's 17-year-old striker Franco Ume for €75,000. The Republic of Ireland under-19 international made his Cork debut in June of last year. Palace have also completed a low move for Arsenal's Belgian midfielder Albert Sambi Laconga. Former Republic of Ireland under-21 midfielder Gavin Kilkenny has joined Charlton today on loan from Bournemouth. Leeds the centre of a couple of deals as well. They've confirmed defender Diego Llorente has joined Roma on loan until the end of the season with a view to an €18 million Euro permanent deal. Newcastle have signed defender Harrison Ashby from West Ham for an undisclosed fee and Leicester have sent Iose Perez on loan to Real Batiste uh, for the rest of the season. I'm no football expert now, Mick. <laughs> but, uh, after that, really. Yeah, there's a lot in there, and I'm sure you, you could probably keep going on for days and days, which you'd say. Absolutely, great, yeah. But, but uh, the Doherty move is like that. I, I don't have you know a massive interest in soccer. I wouldn't be following it the whole time. Yeah. But like Atletico, like that's that's a big move for him, isn't it? That's a, it's an exciting move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, you could argue that Spurs are at least on Atletico's level at the moment, if not slightly above them just given the domination of the Premier League lately but it's still a kind of a it, it's at best side at worst sideways like I mean it's not it's it's if they're chucking them out the door like you know you kind of think that's down to mid-table Premier League or that sort of level but to Atletico Madrid is um, it's a brilliant opportunity for him you know it's, it's there's not too many Irish guys have gone abroad to like big big clubs and have gone and, and, and made their mark. So it's like he's got the rest of the season now to do that at Atletico. And it's actually really exciting. I have to say, from like just an Irish point of view, whatever about Matt Doherty, like I'm more excited about watching him play for Atletico Madrid than I am under Conte at Spurs, you know? So I, I presume most people feel that way. Do you, Richie? Yeah, it's it's brilliant uh, ingenuity from both him and his, his agent. I mean, you look at where Doherty's next move could have been had he stayed in England you're probably talking about a mid-table to lower-level yeah. Premier League side. Um, so to head off to Atletico Madrid, probably on comparable terms to what he's on now uh, at Spurs, like, it's a brilliant opportunity for him. Like, it absolutely is a brilliant... Because Conte clearly doesn't doesn't have the utmost faith in him, otherwise he wouldn't be playing second string in a large part of this season to Emerson Royale. They're bringing in Pedro Porro as well, which suggests that even he isn't at the utmost of uh, his thinking. So heading to somewhere like Atletico where he might get the opportunity and there's no guarantee he might still be playing second string there right wing back where he might get the opportunity to play several games in La Liga if he does well and again a big if 
like who knows what the summer could bring from and it's it's i don't know it's, it's a fantastic opportunity for him and somewhere to increase his footballing vernacular um ahead of going back to stephen kenny's squad too i for everyone concerned i think a great move there's probably a place for an aspiring freelance out in Madrid, I'd say, to be an Irish freelance soccer reporter, to be getting all the scoops back and how Doherty is going and things like that. You, all you want now is a couple more yeah. joining maybe cl- clubs close out there. Uh, well, I think we've already got at least two, but I think, uh, you know, if you if you want to go and join and tr- throw your hat into the ring, Michael, I think, uh, yeah, there'll, there'll be plenty of people looking for some Matt Doherty updates, I would imagine. Richie, there's some Carabao Cup action tonight. Yeah, and there is indeed. Newcastle will look to book a first uh, League Cup final place since 1976. Tonight, they're unchanged and take a 1-0 lead into tonight's second leg of their semi-final with Southampton. That's at St. James's Park, where kickoff is at 8pm. After Saturday's draw at Ewood Park, Birmingham and Blackburn meet again tonight in their fourth round replay. Uh, some Irish involvement, of course, in that Birmingham team. Scott Hogan starting up front. Kevin Long at the heart of their defence. And a fifth round trip to Leicester awaits the winner. And there is a 7.45 start at St. Andrews. Plenty of tennis news uh, going around as well. Yeah, some serious uh, bits and pieces knocking around today in the wake of the Australian Open. Former men's number two, Alexander Zverev, won't face disciplinary action following an ATP investigation into allegations of domestic abuse. Insufficient evidence was found to substantiate claims made by the German's ex-girlfriend. Zverev was accused of physical and emotional abuse in 2020, which he denies. Novak Djokovic, meanwhile, will be allowed to compete at this year's US Open. The men's world number one was forced to miss last year's tournament of Flushing Meadows as he remained unvaccinated against COVID-19. However, it's been confirmed that the USA will lift its COVID emergency measures on May the 11th. Djokovic, though, will still miss the Miami Open and Indian Wells in March, so it's unlikely he'll actually return to the US until the lead up to the Open in uh, what September. Mick, where do you stand on the tennis goat debate? Djokovic is now joint top with Rafa with 22 after his 10th Australian Open at the weekend. He mightn't be the most liked, shall we no. say, but my God, he gets the results. Yeah, it's definitely starting to, it's getting harder and harder, I suppose, to exclude him from that debate. I think in the hearts and minds of people, there's a Federer and Nadal sort of are just slightly a level above. But I don't know if that's a, it's actually backed up by evidence, really, you know. Now, he is obviously that little bit younger In you have to remember that for, you know, Djokovic's or for Nadal's whole career, he had either Federer or Djokovic there. You know, uh, mm. Federer maybe had a, a year or two on his own at the start, and now Djokovic is going to have, while Nadal is obviously still on tour, and, you know, if he's fit enough, he'll probably win the French Open. Um, you know, Djokovic is basically on his own, and it's, it just seems more and more obvious that nobody is coming to challenge him until he's just, until he has a severe decline. Because I don't know what is going on with tennis, but maybe these guys were just so far and away better than everybody else in history that the level below them is just the same and nobody can get to it until they go away. Or there's been a sharp, sharp decline in the level of tennis around the world because nobody is anywhere close to him at the moment. He's 35 and he won the Australian Open with a hamstring injury as well. Yeah, which is I know. Uh, and it was never in doubt. Like, I mean, I was, uh, there was people clutching at straws in the second set, you know, when he got, and I was like, lads, come on, he's one set up here. He won the second set, I think, at the end. And yeah, there was, as I said, it's clutching at straws at this stage. Richie, thanks a million for joining us. Nice to make.